Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack United Nations is back. And I'm not going to lie, we'll admit something straight off the bat. We were having a great conversation before we even hit record. So I'm like, goes, hit record. Let's just get this thing on the road. Because we were just talking Mirko Krokop, right? Just to fill you guys in, because you weren't at the start of this conversation. I've just got back from Croatia. I was away for a week with work, which is why we didn't have a United Nations last week. And I was just uh, relaying a story whereby... Basically, the uh, the guys running the hotel bar where I was staying looked after me royally for the rest of the week because I dropped Mirko Krokop's name into conversation very early on in proceedings and let them know that I'd interviewed him and all the rest of it. And that led into a story about uh, interviewing him in Poland. And uh, that all went went swimmingly after a bit of a grumpy start. And now we're talking about walkout songs and the great debate, and even uh, John Morgan of MMA Junkie, me and John have very contrasting views on this. He hates the fact that Mirko walks out to Wild Boys by Duran Duran. He thinks it's not one of the worst workout, uh, walkout songs ever. Personally, I love it. I think it's great. I think it's unique. I've never heard anybody else walk out to it, except for as like an homage to Mirko. So gorgeous Georgian goes to OGs of MMA Junkie Radio, as always, are here. The United Nations would not be the United Nations without them. And uh, we were just we were just chopping it up, talking walkout songs. And at the moment, Duran Duran, George, are you are you pro or anti when it comes to uh, 1980s new romantic uh, music as a fighter walkout song? That's my era. So I'm a huge 80s fan and, you know, 80s music fan, 80s in general fan when it comes to pop culture, everything. But Mirko Krokop was one of the badasses of this sport who, because he also was a Croatian cop, hence the nickname, you could just tell, like, this guy wasn't playing around from, you know, unless he was actually home holding one of his kids, maybe. Like, this guy was all business. And so then when you're seeing this guy destroy people in pride and then, you know, he moves over to UFC something has to like i mean it, it feels like it all has to like blend in and that song early on simon stood out to me as like a fumble like what are you doing you know why are you walking out to this uh, to go even further i like duran duran honestly but duran duran's kind of like you take your bird to a duran duran concert like on valentine's day or her birthday or whatever you don't suggest that to miracle Krokop for him to walk out to one of their songs none of their songs really kind of give off that vibe. I'd say about the sixth time he walked out, it grew on me. And I was like, yeah, like to the point where now when he might, when he migrated over to the UFC, I'm one of those fans, you know, if I, if I didn't have a credential that day or if I'm at home, you just heard it. And I'm like, yeah, you know, you, you erupt, you, you jump out of your seat. I, I fell in love with it because he made it his song, you know, and, but early on just I'm with John Morgan. I uh, did not like it one bit. Oh, I loved it. Like when I was a kid, it was Duran Duran and Spandau Ballet. They were the two, they were the <laughs> two big neuromantic bands and you're either in one camp or the other one. Uh, I was a big fan of both of them. I've done Spandau Ballet on karaoke many a time uh, down the years, but is I think that true? Can... Yeah. 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 Oh. I, I won a competition singing through the barricades by Spandau Ballet in Mallorca. Um, it wasn't a high quality competition because I can't sing. You beat out the other singer, or how many singers were, were in this? There was at least uh, there was at least one other singer, I think, from memory. Yeah, they made me wait as well. They put loads of other people on in front of me, 
And I, because I just went in, I just wanted to have a have a quick belt of a song and then and then disappear off on the pub crawl that I was doing in in Magaluf, which is absolute carnage, by the way. You just have to Google that place. It's like the cantina from Star Wars, but in mm. street form. Uh, with a load of drunk English people. That's basically what Magaluf was. I assume it's the same now. But um, but yeah, Duran Duran were kind of my my number one of those two. I much preferred them. Uh, but goes are you are you uh, were you a fan of uh, Wild Boys from uh, from Mirko's Walkout? I know there was one time actually. I think it was his UFC debut. He it was the one time he didn't walk out to it. He walked out to the Pride theme on his UFC debut. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But other than that, it's always been Duran Duran. Were you you a fan? Well, I'm a little underprepared for this conversation because before we started, when you said this is a great conversation, we need to put on the air. I thought we were going to talk about OnlyFans, but um, <laughs> to answer your question, I think it's amazing. I grew up in the MTV era of music videos. You remember? You have to remember that a lot of the. Uh, a lot of what we remember Miracle Krokop for is from Pride. And Pride did such a good job of making things into a spectacle that his walkout wasn't a camera just in his face. It was the entire stage and the fog and him walking down that ramp, sometimes even coming up from under the stage. So it made you kind of almost feel like you were in, like this was some kind of music video or something. And you had no idea what the movie was about, but I thought it was incredible. I I loved it since day one. I, I think it's great. And here's yeah. the other thing, guys. The, you know, there was a big rivalry rivalry with Pride and UFC, like kind of similar to WCW and WWE back then. It may have even been WWF back then, where like the fans were split. We all enjoyed both organizations, but you had Pride homers or UFC homers, and I. I would even argue that Pride was looked at as the number one organization in the world with the UFC like a 1A. Not like how UFC's a clear one and Bellator is a clear number two. It was like a 1 and 1A, you know, and um, everybody enjoyed both. But now you have, if you're someone that's flying, you know, the, the, the Pride Fighting Championships flag, you watch, man, if they ever meet up and co-promote and blah, 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 my guys and these guys. So now all of a sudden, Miracle Krokops is uh, big, big time free agent signing. He comes out and, you know, you want the crowd to to kind of also embrace him, right? The UFC crowd to embrace him. And so to, to walk out to Wild Boys, you're like, uh, the UFC crowd's not about that. UFC crowd's such a rock, heavy metal, or a hardcore hip-hop song, like a gangster rap song. You know, so to come out to Duran Duran, ooh, you know, like right away, right away you're, you're thinking, mm, he's not going to – it's going to take him a while. Kind of like it took Gigi's about six fights to finally go, oh, that, that's his song. Because by then – the head kicks, you know, were, were basically doing the talking for him. But you want other fans to embrace him. I'm like, that's not the song. That's not the song that jumps out at you uh, in, in his first appearance. And let's not forget the first one, if I'm not mistaken, I think he beat that guy from San Diego, uh, John Eddie, Eddie Sanchez. Sanchez. Eddie yeah, Sanchez, he didn't, yeah. He didn't look that great. And so everybody's like, this is the guy? Pride? These are the guys you're sitting over that we're supposed to be so scared of or whatever? And, and then the, the next fight is the Gonzaga fight where he gets clipped, you know? Yeah. So... Yeah, man, that, the song didn't help. The first couple results didn't help. You know, you just had to go, well, look at the highlight video prior to him walking out. And, you know, but, yeah, yeah, it was, it was well, a whole package type thing. 
Well, let me let me let you into a, a little a little secret. Mirko Krokop is the reason why I am even involved in this sport. He was really? the first, he was my first experience of getting into this weird, wacky, wild world of mixed martial arts. It was my bachelor party, as you would call it, my stag do, as I would call it over here. Uh, we were at a go kart track in Bournemouth, England, which is a town on the south coast of England. For those who don't know um, England too well, and um, Usual sort of uh, situation on a bachelor party. You go out, lots of drinking involved. And during the day, you have a bit of a bit of a lad's activity. You know, you might go out shooting clay pigeons or you might you might do a few different things, outward bound activities. I picked go-karting. So we went to this go-karting center. We've all got the, uh, the race suits on. We've got the crash helmets ready. We've got the race gloves. We're waiting for the party that were on before us to finish their session. And we're in the waiting room and there's a tiny portable tv just mounted up in the upper corner of the waiting room and it had some sort of combat sport on we couldn't work out what it was and this guy came out onto the screen we thought my god look at the size of him he was like the biggest human being we'd ever seen it made it look even bigger that he was on like a tiny tv he just seemed to fill the screen and he fought what looked like this really little guy and the really little guy was Mirko Krokop the absolutely massive guy was Bob Sapp and it was their K1 fight. And we're just sitting there looking at this going, well, that guy with the Croatian flag on his pants is going to get absolutely murdered here. Let's let's watch this. And of course, that's not what happened, is it? You know, Krokop stayed on the outside, hit him with a few leg kicks. And I think it was a straight left to the orbital bone. And then Bob Sapp's down on the floor, literally crying. And everybody was like, my goodness me, what have we just seen? This is incredible. So I then, after after a very drunken weekend, I decided to look this guy up, find out who he is, read his backstory. I'm absolutely fully bought into his backstory. I start finding videos um, of his of his of his kickboxing knockouts and all the rest of it. That then turns me onto the UFC, which was being shown on a TV channel in the UK called Bravo. It wasn't live at the time. It was all just like UFC Unleashed, I think it was, which was literally just like a highlight show. Um, and um, or featured fights of the week or whatever it might be. And uh, they used to show that and they used to show the Ultimate Fighter. And it was just before, I think they were running the Ultimate Fighter 1, but it's probably at rerun stage at that point. Um, but then eventually we got the Ultimate Fighter 3 with Michael Bisping and Ross Poynton uh, from the UK who were in that. And we were off and running at that point. I was, I'd already done like Japanese Jiu-Jitsu as a kid, so I understood the grappling side of of MMA to a degree. I had, I had an appreciation for what's going on on the mat, um, which for an English guy is the big the big barrier, right? We don't wrestle over here. We don't we don't grapple much over here. Well, we do now, but we never used to. Um, and uh, that's what got me started. Next thing we know, I'm trying to get it in the in the newspapers and all the rest of it, and then I end up writing about it for a living. And here I am talking to you two reprobates on the internet. It's great, but yeah, all down to Mirko Krokop. Hey, so not to derail the show, but you want to hear a kind of similar story? Yeah. How I got started was back in the day the in the United States, they would only show the major teams in soccer. So at the time, you could only see Manchester United, Ajax, Real Madrid, Barcelona. Uh, that's about it, man. That's all they would show. Hmm. And I was watching a Manchester United game. And when it ended, I thought I was watching pro wrestling. 
but what it was was Pancras. And it was Boss Rudin and I believe Frank Shamrock. But they were dressed like professional wrestlers. So I'm like, oh, this pro wrestling. And I'm like, kind of beating the shit out of each other. They're really hitting each other. And then that turned into, well, what is this? And then that turned into other stuff. But but yeah, kind of similar. You were watching Manchester United before you were watching MMA. That surprises me. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And of all the teams you could have picked, of those elite European teams that you could have chosen to follow, you picked Manchester United. They didn't really give me a chance. It's like, if you want to watch, <laughs> this is all we're giving you. Simon, you got to remember, we didn't have a domestic league till 1994, 95. It was the World Cup of 94 that kind of spawned the MLS. Yeah. So, the, so yeah. prior to that, like there was really like what the old school New York Cosmos or mm. whatever other teams were out the Tampa Bay Rowdies, Rowdies, Vancouver yeah. Whitecaps, or the USFL team. LA Express was it? No, that was American football. LA Express. But yeah. So there, there, there really wasn't too much, and now you're battling. So NBA really took off with Bird and Magic in '79, and it just became a juggernaut. It really wasn't that big, honestly, before that. And then, of course, baseball's just always been a hit. Football for sure, and football's divided in three levels. A lot of people watch pro football. Arguably, it's our most popular sport. College football is not far behind. It has the carryover from pro football, and uh, and sometimes it's just got its own audience that prefers to watch the raw kids that aren't playing for money but are going to be in the next level anyway. Still, still high level stuff. But and and then high school football is tremendous as well. But that's been more of a last ten year thing. But so. Early 90s, yeah, there really wasn't too much. And our country takes in so many people from different, you know, different from uh, other countries that I think as cable systems started expanding, what they wanted to do was have something for the international audience. And that's why it could really turn from cricket to now the match of the week in soccer to now maybe even Mexican lucha libre. Like, it was kind of like an international channel that you would have or whatever. So that thing could just jump around, you know what I mean? And you could get different things. Pancrase could be up next. Uh, so now, of course, there's a channel for everything. But, yeah, back then, you know, if something was heaped upon you that impressed you, that was it. And for me, it was Eric Cantona and the caller, you know. And um, so, yeah, many different reasons for why it was there. But like I say, it we may not have even heard of Bayern Munich till like the third or fourth year or whatever, you know, the United States and the UK have always been very, very close in terms of, you know, you guys set a lot of trends for music and fashion and things like that. And then of course, how are you going to get away from Real Madrid and Barcelona for the Latino audience? So I guess maybe that maybe can maybe explain it a little bit more. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Like there's a great documentary on, if you haven't seen it, I thoroughly recommend it. It's called, let me get it right. Once in a lifetime. It's called, it is the story of the New York Cosmos. It's a documentary film, full length film about the story of the New York Cosmos and how they ended up signing uh, Pele. And they started out in this field, literally in the middle of, I think it was just in some rough area in New York. They barely had any stands. And they used to paint the grass green to convince Pele that it wasn't just some really bad field. And he came in after one match and said, "I'm never playing for you again. Look at what your look at what your your pitch has done to my has done to my feet." And his feet are all green. And they're like, 
Pele, it's just paint, it's fine. And it, they sort of washed it off his feet. And he's like, oh, okay, we're all good then. But yeah, there's all these incredible, incredible anecdotes. I used to go partying at like, um, was it Studio 54? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Studio 54, yeah, they used to go part, partying at Studio 54. Um, their goalkeeper, a guy called Shep Messing, did this big uh, naked spread in a magazine. Um, and it, 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 the whole thing is just absolutely wild. But look it up. It's called Once in a Lifetime. I don't think it, it might be on Netflix in America. I don't know. But um, you can probably find it uh, on like Amazon or something. It's, it is absolutely brilliant. It's superb. And you've got all the music of the era as well and, and all that sort of stuff. It's, it's, it's fantastic. And I love all that stuff, all the history of the history of football. And, you know, that, that was like the North American Soccer League back then. And as you said, the MLS only kicked in after the World Cup. In 94, that was part of the deal that got the United States the World Cup, the fact that they'd do this new league. But, um, but yeah. Well, you threw a curveball at me because when you said once in a lifetime, I thought you were going to tell me it was a documentary about the team you support making it to the Premier League. We haven't <laughs> done that yet. Well, you haven't? <laughs> not, I thought no. it was almost one of your greatest days when, when you guys won some championship and made it to the Premier League the other day. I tweeted, I tweeted the other day. Um, I call it St. Tomo's Day. Because every year we we tweet, it was the year that we. Do you remember the year when Manchester United won the treble? They did the Champions League, the Premier League. That's when they beat um, Bayern Munich in Barcelona. That that, that night in Barcelona, comeback. Oh, right, unbelievable, right? Oli uh, Sheringham and then Oli Solskjaer, right? Yeah, yeah. That same year, we got to what then was it was called the Division One playoff. Uh, was it the Division? No, the Division Two playoff final. Which oh. is which, which would have got us into, or the, sorry, the Division One playoff final, which would have got us into the Championship, which is the second right. tier of English football. And we played Manchester City. We were in the same division as them at the time. They'd fallen on hard times. They were in the same league as us. We got to the playoff final. It was a really tense, tight game. We were at this. This was at the old Wembley Stadium before they knocked it down and rebuilt the spectacular stadium we've got now. And with ten minutes to go, it was nil nil, and then we scored. And then the whole, like, our end of the stadium just erupted. I've never experienced anything like it. Two minutes later, we score again. We're 2-0 up. There's about five minutes left at Wembley against a Manchester City team who, like, their their back four costs more than our entire squad, right? Um, and, you know, we're in dreamland. We, we, you know, we're, we're going to get promoted. Everything's going great. 87 minutes, 88 minutes, 89 minutes. 90 minutes, the board goes up, five minutes stoppage time. This was back in the days when you only ever got one or two minutes added on. Five minutes of stoppage time. We're like, where did five minutes come from? Then Manchester City score. And it's, oh, shit, it's 2-1. We Okay, batting down the hatches. We've just got to hold on. Then in the last minute of stoppage time, they equalise. And the noise that hit hit me was like, I've, I've probably said this before, um, you know, in the film Iron Man, where he's demonstrating those missiles at the start and he stands there with his arms outstretched and the wall of the cloud of explosion just hits them. Um, mm-hmm. That's what it felt like, but in like noise form with the noise of the Manchester City fans when the ball hit, because light travels quicker than sound. So you see the ball hit the net and there's that oh shit feeling. And then the wall of noise just hits you and it's just like a double gut punch. And then it went to extra time, and then we went to penalties and lost on penalties. So it was terrible. Everything was bad. Like we said, like, well, that, you know, that was our chance. 
gone. So you were tweeting yeah. sarcastically that this no, was- no, 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 because the the game that I'm telling you about is yeah. that exact same game the following year. We had all that happen to us against Man City, and then the following year, it was like right, we need to regroup. We we lost the last regular season game, which would have meant we would have gone up automatically. If we'd have won that game or drawn that game, we'd have gone up. We lost. The to, to go into the championship, okay. which meant we had to go into the playoffs. We got to the final of the playoffs where we played a team called Wigan Athletic, who have been in the Premier League, right? Um, I've heard of them. They're a Northwest we, team, right? That's it. And we were losing in extra time, 2-1, and it wasn't looking good. We couldn't. We never. We didn't look like we were going to score. So our manager put on our 38-year-old player coach. He scores with a header. Everyone goes nuts. He puts on another sub, a little Scottish striker called Andy Thompson, who scores with a diving header in the, like with a minute and a half left of stoppage uh, in, in extra time. We get promoted. It's the only time I've ever cried at a sporting event. And um, that was it. And that mm. that was the the game I was tweeting about. Uh, some Tomos, they call it. I thought you but guys admitted to the Premier League. Okay, that's what um, I Seriously, we've not we've beaten Premier League teams in the FA Cup. We've knocked Premier League teams out of the FA Cup a few times. Um, mm. That year, we knocked out two in one in one cup run. Really? We knocked out Bradford City and Sheffield Wednesday in back to back games. But yeah, we uh, it was a it was a mad a mad mad year. But this is an MMA podcast. Why are we talking about general well, football? Uh, one very, last thing. Kind of narrowing thing. the audience a little bit. But yeah. Be- before, we pivot, before we pivot real fast, last thing. What's the greatest comeback in Champions League? Man United, the one we just discussed, or when Liverpool was down 3 nothing to AC Milan and they came storming back? That's the one. That's the one. How's that I mean, the one? What do you mean, how is that the one? They were getting... The other like, one was like... Oh, they had 45 minutes to sort that out. This one was like literally 89th, 90th minute. Like, I mean, they even pulled uh, what's this guy? What's this guy's the German, German, uh, Lothar Mateus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lothar Mateus. They even pulled him. Like, like seriously, like that was it, man. Those guys were already engraving that trophy. Only one man. goal, though, George. It's only one goal. One, one nil is not a danger. You know, one nil is never wrapped up. Right, you you are one, you're one slip, one bad decision by ref, one mistake by a defender. But the time, then, it's the time I'm arguing. It doesn't more matter. It doesn't matter. Like if you're three 0 down and you haven't had a kick, and it's half time in the Champions League final, and literally every chance the other teams had, they've put in the net, and you've not had a sniff, you've got to completely change everything. It's not. But you, got, like, you got the substitutions. You got plenty of time. So many things can happen. Maybe a, another yellow card leads to a red. Or, I mean, this is literally where like you, you can't. There's nothing you can do, man. You can't reverse the time. Like we've gotten close. It doesn't matter. We're down to like just a couple minutes, and in a couple minutes, that crowd is gonna go nuts. The confetti's gonna drop on them, and we go home, and the trouble is over. Instead. So you know they they flip the script. I mean, it's one of the most. It was, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not belittling it. By, I'm not belittling it by any means. But it's the, the way you said it, it, though. When I went, <laughs> is it the '99? And you were like, this, no, no, no. And then like, <laughs> no. I was just like, the and you were like, oh yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. it is. It is just like st- like statistically coming At back from three one down is harder than coming back from one down. Well, it's it's No, I mean you were convinced. 
here's the thing, right? And this is this this will clinch the argument, and you'll admit I'm right. If it's one nil, if it's one nil, yes, there's not a lot of time left, but you only need one goal because once you've got that one goal, that opens it all up again. You have extra time, you have penalties, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like that's the end of the game. Still, you still got more. T- you bought, you score a goal, you bought half an hour of time, right? In uh, in the Liverpool game, you've got 45 minutes, right? But you've got you need three just to just to get level. Just I mean, like three just puts you on parity. So I mean, like that's 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 Herculean. Okay. Let stuff, me flip right? it on you. Your yeah. life's at stake, right? Oh, and I tell you. You're down one nothing with one minute to go. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's over for you. Mm-hmm. So you got one minute to sort out your team and say, okay, this is the play we're going to run or whatever. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you rather have 45 minutes to come back from 3 nothing than one minute to come down from one nothing? See, now now you're playing weighted risk, right? That's but also you got to bear in mind you got to bear in mind everything else about it. You got to bear in mind the opposition as well. That AC Milan side were ludicrously good. That Bayern Munich team were old. That, 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 I mean, I, that, know, I know Lothar Mateus was old. They had Oliver Kahn. They had, they had a lot of... Matthias Sammer. I, I can't remember all I reckon that average age was about 32, 33, which in soccer terms... It's still is Bayern old. Munich. Yeah, I know. I know. But Bayern Munich, they, that was back in the days when Bayern Munich had very little opposition. In, in Germany. Now the Bundesliga. Every year they have little opposition in Germany. No, they have now. The Dor- you know, Dortmund and you know uh Salzburg, teams like this, Frankfurt, who just won the uh, Europa League. But oh. yeah, no, it, it's uh it they were both very good comebacks, George. I think if you were I think they both had their own dramatic uh, here's the here's one way of looking at it, right? You both had mountains to climb. You had to climb yours faster. But Liverpool, you had to get to like uh, Kilimanjaro. You had to climb Kilimanjaro quickly. Liverpool had to climb Everest. That's the difference, right? Both had to top a mountain. The size of the mountain was very different and you had long and you had different times to do it. But I think Liverpool's comeback was better. Not not to belittle Manchester United. They were, they were both incredible as well. All right, well... Yeah, you seem like you're set and you've dug your heels in. That's fine. I, 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 like I, I said, I, I think more than anything, it was the response where you were like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, why am I even saying this? I'm such an amateur for even bringing it up. But uh, yeah, it's, I've watched a lot of football. <laughs> I've watched a lot of football. So I, to me, coming back from 3-0 is always harder than coming back from 1-0. That's just a statistical fact. I don't know. The other day. Manchester City was down 2 nothing with 15 minutes left, and they put in three on uh, Aston Villa, I believe, to win the um, the Premier League. So they came up with three pretty quick. This is not – this is Notice not how I didn't say back in 83, or I think my uncle told me about a game in 1960. I just referenced two weeks ago or whatever. This is not a piece of statistical research that I'm expecting you to do. Um, and I don't, it's not even a piece of statistical research. I think we are as a threesome capable of doing, but I'm prepared to go out on a limb and say, if you did that research, you would find that last minute equalizers are far more common than teams coming back from three nil down. So perhaps that's yeah, perhaps 
or yes is the, is, is the word you're looking for there i think but yeah <laughs> but yeah no i think you know not that that was a great moment brilliant i don't know what commentary you had on it when you watched it in america but the commentary on that manchester united barcelona game from an english commentator called clive tildesley who scandalously is no longer commentating for itv in the uk um is one of the best pieces of commentary ever if you have, if you look up the commentary on uh, on youtube they get the corner for for sheringham's goal and tildesley on commentary goes um can they you know schmeichel was coming up for the corner can united score they always score because that, that that year they scored loads of last minute goals didn't they so well, they always score bang sheringham scores and then you know then when Solskjaer got the winner or all, all hell broke loose but um yeah amazing stuff amazing stuff Right. Hope you guys are enjoying the uh, the Britpack United Nations Soccer Podcast. By the way, <laughs> I'm thoroughly enjoying myself. But um, let's let's flip it ever so slightly. We took you know you took your comebacks. What is your favourite? Doesn't have to be the best. Doesn't have to be the most famous. What is your favourite MMA comeback that you've seen? Mm. I can think of a few, but um, it think... might be a career comeback. It might be a, a just a fight comeback. Okay. The way it works best for me is because there's a ton. And then when you yeah. start hearing the others, you're like, oh, my God, I'm an idiot for not starting with that one. So let's just throw stuff at the wall, and it, give, mm. it gives us time to, like, really, really hone in. I'll just throw one that I really, really liked. Um, is that okay, Simon, or did you have a certain formula? There for is no it? format here. Just Okay. All right. So <laughs> okay. one that I just recently saw the other day, because Holly Holm, when she was fighting Ketlin Vera, they kept talking about – in fact, I think Goes brought it up on a spinning back click or something. Misha Tate. Misha Tate's down 3-1, and her takedown was – it wasn't conventional. It wasn't like a blast double. She didn't pin her against the cage and then work a sequence, you know, starting with grabbing a single, you know, or anything like that. Uh, there was no judo toss. Like, she literally went after and she looked like a defensive end, just grabbing the quarterback and throwing them down to the ground, you know? So sacking. So that she she did that, and then when she got when when she got her down and she took that back position, you know, Holly Holm defended and hats off to Holly Holm by the way who was in a tight choke against Kellen Vera a few mm. weeks ago and got out of it. But that's where I was having those memories. But I remember they even did a, a a complete flip and Misha hung on for dear life. She knew this was it, cinched it in. And to come back and now be able to say, I'm a UFC champion because of that grit, not giving up. Uh, I, I thought that was that, – that one's up there. Like, I'm, I mean, we could probably sit here for and do a 24-hour show, and it would be hard to bump that off my, my, my Mount Rushmore of comebacks. But that's just to get the party started, and now I'm going to think while you guys talk. That event was one of the maddest I've- – I've been to a lot of MMA events and, and UFC events that have been crazy. There's always some sort of madness that happens. That was UFC 196. I was front row of press row for that event. And that was the night that um, Nate Diaz submits Conor McGregor mm-hmm. and wasn't surprised. And uh, that event built up beautifully. Uh, Donald Cowboy Cerrone was in the front row of the crowd, literally but where I was sat, you've got the walkway where the fighters come out from the corner, um, you know, at, you know, at the start of the fight. The other side of the walkway, Cowboy Cerrone's got like a a, a tall boy of uh, of Budweiser on the go, sort of giving us the thumbs up as uh, as Katy Perry's over the speakers. 
Uh, was he sitting in Anthony Smith's mom's seats or was he in his own seat? I, I don't know. I oh. don't know. I'm not going to get involved in that. I have no idea what you're talking about. But, well, but, you um, no, I haven't. Go on. Go on. Tell you Anthony Smith was telling Michael Bisping that when he fought John Jones, so probably another UFC altogether, mm. uh, Dan Blazarian, the, you know, the Playboy guy, yeah, yeah. Famous Instagram guy. Him and Cowboy Cerrone allegedly, I don't know what I'm supposed to say, but kicked out Anthony Smith and his mom and his wife out of their seats. They were so oh, wow. drunk. They were just like, no, no, these are ours. Kind of bullied him over. Luckily, the UFC came over, found chairs, sorted it out. But right. Smith said he was so bitter that if that when he heard about it, when he crossed the curtain on the way back after the loss, he said, if I would have seen Bilzerian, I would have ended him. He was that mad. Retelling the story <laughs> wow. years later. Bilzerian since then has said, wasn't me, basically, but uh, yeah, I mean, we can talk about that. I don't want to get away from that. <laughs> yeah, no, that, he, he had a, he had a kid next to him, so um, I don't know. It, it, I'm I'm assuming it wasn't a relative of Andy Smith, but but yeah, that whole event was nuts. That that whole event was absolutely nuts, and uh, that was a real feel good moment. I know Holly's a very popular fighter. She got a good reception from the crowd in Vegas that day. But that was a very pro-Misha crowd that night. And uh, as you said, she was clearly at least two rounds, maybe three rounds down on the cards going into that last round. She tried for most of the fight to get Holly down and couldn't, or certainly couldn't keep her down if she did get her down. And uh, she just had to go for it in that final round. It was an amazing comeback. And uh, yeah, brilliant, brilliant win. Goes, what you got on uh, on, on, on your, your little mental short list that I, I saw you? I could see the little cogs going in your head. You must have well, at least four or five now, right? No, the, I mean, because <laughs> the first one that popped up in my head was um, Nick Diaz and Takanari Gomi and Pride. Mm-hmm. Diaz took a beating really, really bad and was able to submit Gomi at the end of that fight. And I remember, uh, actually, it's a trivia, I actually bought him dinner that night. Nick Diaz after that fight. Can you guys guess where I bought it? Where, 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 where was this? Shops at the Caesars? Uh, Subway. Yeah, I was at Subway and all of a sudden he walked in looking like Frankenstein. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, dude, you don't have like an after party or nothing? And just walked in, ordered a sub. I bought him a sub. But but yeah, he had taken a beating that entire fight and then he came back and uh, got the victory submission. That is That is mad. That is absolutely mad. I'm desperately trying to look up the one that I, I have in mind. Uh, there it is. Ultimate Fighter finale, November 11th, 2006. Mm. Scott Smith, Pete Sell. Oh. Yeah. The body just, shot, right? Oh, yeah. Well, he, he, he looked like he was done. He was sort of curled up in a ball. It looked like he was all finished. Sell moves in for the finish and Smith just drags this absolute monster punch out of out of absolutely nowhere and finishes the fight that that's mad obviously there's the pat barry check congo fight which might be the last entertaining fight congo was in to be honest um i haven't seen him in too many fun fights since then he's just i don't know you know he's he's got everything going for him but he's he just hasn't been in too many great fights lately and he's he's fighting this ryan bader the other week was not not a fun one to watch um, but yeah, that that's Pat Barry comeback um, by a Czech Congo was a big one. And if you're uh, talking career wise, oh, go on, go on. Frankie Edgar and Gray Maynard. Frankie Amazing. Edgar was doing the chicken legs, right? Yeah. Yeah. Jarzinho Rosenstruck against Alistair Overeem. I think he's down four rounds to nothing and pulls out a miracle in the last round. Um, 
there's there's so I many. had one more on the tip of my tongue but i forgot oh well you know this one isn't like tremendous tremendous but it's recency bias you know michael chandler arguably arguably had Oliveira done and oh yeah. pocketed a 10-8 i don't remember looking at the scores but probably could have pocketed a 10-8 in round one and then how quickly in round two the fortunes changed if that round first round had been 30 seconds longer, Michael Chandler would be the UFC lightweight champion. You know, it was it was that close. Or if that exchange had happened 30 seconds earlier. Colby Covington's up 2 nothing on Kamaru Usman in the first fight. Usman comes back, evens the score, and then finishes Colby Covington in round five. So not a 4 nothing scenario, but still a title fight. Uh, Kamaru dug deep. Yeah. And if you're talking career-wise, and the anniversary of, uh, of this is... This coming weekend, uh, this is the Brit Pack, right? Michael Bisbing becoming a UFC middleweight champion. His whole career is a comeback story. Every time he got to within a, a sort of a touching touching distance of a title shot, he lost. He lost to Charles Sonnen. In fact, before then, he lost to Rashad Evans as a light heavy in a fight that was very, very, very close. We were at that he, fight. He lost, he, lost to Chow, he lost to Charles Sonnen. He lost to Vitor Belfort. Uh, he lost to Tim Kennedy. You know, all the time where he was he was right there, he just fell at the final hurdle every single time. And he had his fight with um, Anderson Silva, which was the fight that he was chasing for all those years because Silva was the champion when Bisbing was really on the run to sort of get the title shot. So since you tossed out those names, how about those two? The first Amazing. Fight? Well, that's got to be one of the one of the biggest ones because Sonnen was just absolutely bossing that fight for everything except for about the last 20 seconds of, of, of the fight, you know, up until the finish. Until that triangle went on, it was one-way yeah, traffic. and then what happens, you know, when the the testing comes in, how it would have really, really ruined everything. Um, Tim Sylvia had a nice – sorry, Noguera had a nice comeback against Tim Sylvia for an interim title. Yeah. I think it was in 2008. I remember we hosted at our house in Santa Ana. We must have had like about 40 people there. And that was one of the times where I remember everyone just standing up and erupting uh, because it was such a great comeback. And again, it was that Pride versus UFC, those times, you know, where there was still a legion of Pride fans that were like, wait till you see this. And then all of a sudden the big goofy guy from Maine uh, is is winning, you know, and and actually dominating. But that was a a huge comeback as well. Yeah. Yeah. And one that's not, not perhaps as well known, but I was in the arena for it and it was absolutely nuts. Uh, was a Bellator Dublin show, uh, Peter Queeley, um, who's going to main event against Benson Henderson, uh, in September in Dublin. That'll be a good fight. Um, he was fighting an English guy called Ryan Scope, and Ryan Scope was lighting him up early in that fight, had him in, had him in big trouble. And at, at that point, Peter Queeley had never been finished in a fight, but he was in, he was in trouble. And then somehow Queerly just roared on by this absolutely rabid crowd of like 9,000 absolutely hammered Irish fans, just turned the fight around, finished Ryan Scope, and the whole place just exploded. It was, it was to be in the building for that was, was very, very special. That was, that was a mad event as well and a, a mad comeback. Not perhaps the biggest in terms of scale and in terms of peril, but a guy turning the fight around and just like the reaction from the crowd, that was, that was pretty special as well. What if Nate had finished Leon? About oh, yeah. a year ago? 
that. Remember the fifth round? He kind of like chicken like. He had him on skates, didn't he? He definitely had him on skates in the last few seconds. Think about the trajectory of how he knows he's going to say, now I need to fight Usman or who knows what. But, I mean, we might be looking at a whole different thing. And Leon obviously falls back in in line. But Mm. these all these fights, what if, what if, what if, what if in that that second Diaz-McGregor fight, Diaz gets the nod. I can't remember if it was a split decision or not, but I think it was. Now all of a sudden McGregor is not fighting Alvarez to become champ champ. Mm. You know, he's probably looking either at going back to 45 or you know, I don't I don't I don't, I don't know what's going to happen to tell you the truth. And maybe Floyd Mayweather isn't as interested in finding Conor McGregor cuz Conor McGregor is obviously a big name as a champ champ in the UFC, but if he doesn't even get a chance to fight Alvarez after losing to Diaz in the second that trajectory could be uh, a little bit different as well. Now, one yeah. career comeback that I, that I like is um, Dominic Cruz came out, came back after like three and a half years, and he blindsided Takeya Mizugaki, I believe is who yeah. it was. And then I think that followed up with a win over TJ Dillashaw. That was incredible because all of those ligaments that didn't take, you know, all, all, all the um, ACL reconstructions that he had, the time off that he had, you know, and then to still come back and prove yourself against a formidable fighter like Dillashaw and reclaim the title. That was amazing. One day I'd like for our United Nations show to talk about had a fighter stopped just a little bit early. Cause I could argue that if Dominic Cruz had stopped right after that Dillashaw fight and not fought Cody Garbrandt and just retired, drifted mm-hmm. off into the sunset, he would have had something like a 22 and one record. His only loss being uh, Uriah Faber, which he not only avenged, but then he won the trilogy. He would have been able to say, I'm a WEC champ and UFC champ with title defenses, with those setbacks. I mean, he, he you know, he would honestly have like a almost not impeccable record because of the one loss, but right up there, you know. And I have a few more of those, but I think it'd be fun to revisit one of those. Like had someone just left a little bit earlier, their their career, you know, their resume would be just a little bit shinier. Yeah, I've got I've got kind of a reverse version of that, um, which I can drop in. We should do that on a future show. I'll, I'll, I'll keep my powder dry with that one, but um, I like that. So an alternative reality show, we can call it, where we just sort of, uh, I don't know if you're big Marvel fans, but uh, on Disney Plus, Marvel has this thing called What If? And mm-hmm. it's like an animated thing where it's like, what if, what if Captain America, what, what if um, Peggy was Captain and ca- Captain captain england or captain britain instead of uh captain you know instead of a captain america or what if voltron had won and things like that and they did they, they played out all these different scenarios in marvel we can do that in the mma world we'll, we'll, we'll maybe do that on the next show that's how i quite like the idea of that but you mentioned nate diaz i want to ask you about nate diaz because he's in a, he's in an interesting spot right he's got from my understanding he's got one fight left on his contract now, if you're the UFC, if you're of the view that Nate is not going to fight past that one fight for you, then surely, surely you do the Connor fight because right. that's the one that's going to do the biggest box office for you. And it doesn't matter if he beats Connor because Connor's not fighting frequently anyway. And Connor, will, Connor is bulletproof from losses. Like he's his stock as a championship contender on paper may be dropping. But from a promotional standpoint, it doesn't make any difference because he's the biggest ticket shifter in the entire company. If he turns around and says, I want to fight Kamara Usman for the World title, 
everybody concerned is going to say, yeah, all right then, including Kamaru, because he wants that cheddar as well. So if you're booking Nate Diaz, well, it's a double, here we go, double-sided question, right? If you're the UFC, how do you book Nate Diaz? And if you're Nate Diaz's manager, how do you play this final fight of his contract? How do you deal with this? Because we, it seems like we're in this sort of impasse at the moment where nothing's happening. Nate sounds like he wants to fight, but nobody seems, you know, but but doesn't sound like the UFC want to book him. So what would you do? Okay. How much do you guys think? Just give me round numbers. How much do you guys think Nate versus Poye pays Nate? D- disclosed half million, I would say. And then you think he probably negotiates pay-per-views, Nate Diaz? I would imagine so, yeah. If if if, if it's a headliner, then yeah, you've right. got to give him points. So I would say like disclose pay 500 to 750. Yeah. And then with pay-per-views, is it, does it jump up there? Or do you think he's on the bottom scale? Just 25 cents a pay-per-view or what do you think he gets? I would imagine he could probably clear a million, million and a half. Okay. Maybe more. For Connor, what do you think it gets closer to like 5 million maybe that he makes there or, or maybe even 10? I don't know. Maybe even more. Yeah. So what I would do is I would tell him, it's obvious you want to fight and go fight Jake Paul. Jake Paul paid Tyron Woodley two million. Let's say he doubles that and pays Nate Diaz four. Well, I would pay Nate. I would pay Nate um, not the four, but uh, whatever he's gonna make. So anyway, what? Here's what I would do. I would pay him um, if he's going to make about four million from Jake Paul and two million from Poye. That's six. Keeping him around for Connor is probably going to eclipse that. So give him a decent payday for Poye. Extend the contract so that he fights Connor, and then he can go off and fight um, Jake Paul. However, if him and Poirier were to have some sort of a classic or it, you know, you can tell on paper that this thing's going to be another million dollar payout should they rematch, then you got to compensate Nate for that as well um, and keep him around. So you'd have to find some flexibility there so that if they had to keep him around a little bit longer, it at least eats into what I think he expects to make from Jake Paul. Unless this guy has so much hatred that he would rather make less with Jake Paul than with the UFC, there's nothing that can be done. Like when he was teasing Bellator, what's up? Come on, all respect to Bellator. Bellator is not going to pay him what Jake Paul or the UFC is going to pay him. Why, you know, why is he throwing that out there? Is the, would he really rather take less than just because he he doesn't want the UFC to make more money? I don't know. Some people do roll that way, you know. But I think it all comes down to, to money, and I think it's just a matter of sitting down and going, well, what do, what do you expect to make the next two years? How can we come close to that? But feature you now. It's a waste of time that he hasn't. Him and Poye should have already fought, and we should already yeah. be talking about a possible second fight while Connor's out in Monaco, you know, drinking champagne. He's in a hurry to come back. Here's the thing, right? Jake Paul, let's even if he can raise enough money to pay him that amount of money, and I'm not convinced he can, by the way. I just I don't think Jake Paul sells as much as he as 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 people think he does, I genuinely don't think he he, he shifts as many pay per views as as people think he might. Um, let's say he can. Let's say he can he can afford to pay Nate four million. 
He's only going to pay him four million once, and then that's it. Like it's it's not like he's going to have a trilogy with him or anything like this. He's going to be one and done, right? Do and 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 the other question mark is: Does Nate want out of the UFC definitively, or does he just want fights? Like he flip flops in terms of what he says. One minute he says he wants a fight, next minute he's hinting he wants out. We don't know. We don't know. I mean, I would imagine if the UFC can give him a a headlining pay per view <laughs> fight against an A list or A minus list fighter twice a year, he'll be happy with that. And all the while he's yeah. competitive, then it's worth him sticking around. But I don't know. I don't know what's in his head. I don't know whether he actually wants to stay or not. What do you think, guys? I honestly think the way I think both Diaz brothers think exactly the same. I think they try and make money. They spend it and don't think about MMA until they're done spending that money and they need more money. When people go, Hey, me and my teenage years. Exactly, dude. I don't, I don't really think they forecast 401ks or anything like that. I think they just basically put a big chunk of money in the bank, go out and spend and have fun. And when that run low, all of a sudden, I want to fight again. I think that's how they think. So, yeah, I think he wants out of the UFC. I think the Jake Paul fight probably will make him a decent amount of cheddar. And outside, I feel like probably with the UFC, they probably, especially a person like Nate Diaz or Nick Diaz, I think they lose out on a lot of money from certain sponsors or things that they could be doing that the UFC doesn't allow them to do. So, I think he's just overfighting. I think he wants to get out, do that, make money doing stupid things. Uh, the UFC, I think, just wants to to hold him out and just have him sit on the shelf. Uh, I don't really think it hurts his credibility if he takes another loss leaving the UFC. Uh, but I do see the UFC giving him, whoever they give him, it's definitely somebody that they hope is going to smash him. Well, yeah. if the rumors were true and they were giving him Shemaev, it was because the UFC wanted him to get smashed on the way out. Now, mm-hmm. Nate, now Nate's saying, well, I did accept it, except Homeboy was getting married. He wasn't ready to go. He was injured. And it looks like there might be some truth to it because it looks like Shemayev did tie the knot. So, but here's the thing. You know, there's a lot of NFL teams and NBA teams that'll go, okay, oh, wow, this was a catastrophe. We're going to pay this guy to leave. But they don't do it in a way where there's such bitterness like what appears to be here with the UFC. And I can't understand why. Is it ego or what? that they can't just figure it out between the two parties. Because at the end of the day, they're both about making money. Figure out what's what's the money, what's the contract that's out there that Jake Paul supposedly might offer Nate Diaz. And, you know, see if you can afford to pay uh, Nate Diaz for that fight versus someone else until you get to the big McGregor payout. Why would he want to miss out on the McGregor payout, by the way? I don't know. That's a, that's a huge, huge mystery to me. But... um I just think I think the Diaz brothers have misplayed their hand for the last five years because when they both turned 30, they're about two years apart, 30 and 32 or 28, 30, I don't know what it was. These guys had become superstars and they could have had some massive fights. And instead they've had long layoffs, some losses. The fans are still there. But man, I really think that both guys could have maybe competed uh and and tried to win world titles during those years because before Usman it was Woodley and before Woodley it was Lawler and I think Nick 
if he stayed in shape, didn't abuse his body, had something for those guys. I'm not saying he would have won. I just think he gets steamrolled by Usman because Usman's on another level. He's in his prime and Nick's older. But I think the other two he would have had a shot at at because he didn't just get blasted by GSP either. I thought there was some time there was some stuff there that he had done where he showed me some improvements over what I thought was gonna happen. And as far as Nate's concerned, boy, when Nate fought Michael Johnson, he looked great. I mean, he looked great. And then he comes off 10 days notice, fights Connor. And then I think he said, if I can beat him off 10 days, took him lightly. And that's when he got split decision lost to Connor in the second fight. And then after that, he just hasn't been the same. But when when he is on and he's lean and he's ready to go, that guy's championship material. You know, I I, I don't think that Oliveira could submit him and uh, and just handle him that way. And I think Nate's capable of of uh, beating up Charles Oliveira if they just stood, you know. But again, five six years have gone by, a lot of wasted time, man. Yeah, you talking about Nick Diaz and you know we talked about comebacks earlier. We had Bellator over in uh, in London a few weeks ago, and Paul Daly had his retirement fight. Unbelievable, unbelievable knockout uh, in a fight that he was losing handily. He was getting just out grappled, and he got up and absolutely demolished the guy. Um, Co- yeah, Wendell Wendell Giacomo. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, we had Scott Coker backstage afterwards, and I asked him, you know, just just to give us a few words on on Paul Daly. And he said that Paul Daly and Nick Diaz was, for him, that was his favorite MMA fight of all time. He said, I've never seen a better fight than that. Certainly never a better one-round fight than that. And you can argue that was a comeback for Nate, uh, uh, sorry, for uh, for Nick Diaz because Daly had him in big trouble in that, in that fight. And then he eventually turned the tables and knocked out Daly. So, yeah, I mean, unbelievable, unbelievable fighters on, on, on their peak. I'm not too worried about seeing Nick Diaz compete too much now. I'm, I, I feel like he's kind of, he's not, you know, we saw him last year or year before and, you know, he showed us flashes, but I don't, I don't necessarily know if it's in his best interest to be in there with the best guys in the world anymore. Nate Diaz, if you keep him focused, you give him a training camp and you give him a goal and a reason to get in the cage. I think he can be a problem for most people in his weight class. Um, probably. If he fights at 55, yeah, 55. He's obliterated when he goes to 70. There's I just think no it depends on the style, doesn't it? If he goes huh? in there with someone who's a wrestle a wrestle first opponent, he's going to have trouble because I don't think he can stop people from taking him down. Yeah, he's got good jiu-jitsu, but off his back it's trickier, right? And uh, there's some really good wrestlers, you know, like someone like Colby or, or Kamaru would, would, would boss, boss him pretty easy. But at lightweight against guys who want to stand and trade with him, he'd be a lot of fun with a lot of people. Dustin Poirier, obviously, is a notable option, and that might be the fight we get. Who knows? I'd love for them to add that fight to the International Fight Week card because I'm coming over for that. So, But um, there's no sign of it, and we're only a month away, so I'm guessing you know, that. Nate that should tell the UFC, Nate should tell the UFC, all right, I'll wait for Connor, but if I beat mm. him, I get Oliveira if Oliveira beats... Um, the winner of Makashev Darius, I don't know. We're way looking into the future. And just leave that opening, you know. Now, should Makashev mm. win? I don't think he wants to go in there against Makashev. Makashev's going to do to him probably what Habib would have done to him. And mm. at that point, maybe he can go, well, uh, you know, like maybe I'll fight Poirier or maybe that's when I drift off to fight Jake Paul. But use that leverage for crying out loud. 
I feel mm. like a lot of these athletes just they get absolutely tooled at the negotiating table by the UFC. Honestly, that's that's what I think. I think we have a lot of good managers for MMA, but not for overall sports that have yet to really, I guess, um, take it to another level. And I'm waiting for one of those guys like Abdelaziz, Atar, um, Kawa, Butler, one of those guys to take it to the next level, like what the guys from CAA wanted to do or whatever. Mm. But something just, I don't know, something doesn't sit right. Maybe because they manage these big rosters and they have to handle, take a loss here to get a W here, whatever, at the negotiation table. But I think there, sh- there should be that type of leverage. Whoever's managing Nate say, all right, I'll shut up and I'll wait for Connor because I know that's the fight you want to make. But if I win it, I get this. Write that into the contract. You can write anything into a contract, honestly. Anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. never going to happen. Never ever gonna happen because it comes down to one thing: the UFC doesn't need you. If you disappear, their show keeps going. I mean, look how long we've we've gone without John Jones fighting. We rarely get to see. It's insane to think that, right? Henry Cejudo just went bye bye. That's an Olympic gold medalist. They don't give a dude. They don't give a shit. That's the problem. That's why these. Why won't they give him Poirier? Huh? Why won't they give him Poirier? Because they want to make him hurt. Because that's how they run their business. Dude, look, here's the thing, guys. Nate Diaz, he's not a great fighter. I'm sorry. He's a tough fighter. He's a tough cat. He's not great. I'm going to put a gun to your guys' head, all right? And I'm going to go through the top five in that division. You tell me who you pick. Charles Oliveira or Nate Diaz? Who are you taking in that fight? At this point, man, Oliveira's clicking. All right. Poye. That's against, a closer fight, but Poirier wins. Against Gage? Nate? Well, no, no, against Nate? Yeah. Five you got rounds? A head, George. Let me tell you something, man. And we're, the best the best Poirier and the best Nate is showing up, right? Right. Well, no, 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 just whatever. Current, current Nate and current Poirier, because that's, that's, yeah. that's what we'll get. The current state yeah. they're in? Hmm. Oh, boy. Um... That's what scares me about Nate is if he's going to give me an honest stamp. <laughs> I need. I would have to make sure that it's at fifty-five, so he gets his miles in. Uh, huge win bonus. <laughs> I don't know because Poirier and Gaethje have both shown me that hands all day, chin all day, toughness, car, whatever you want to call it. But boy, man, if an opportunity presents itself where wrestling or an opportunity for submissions in play, like they, they, I don't know. It's like they, they don't really fight off too many submissions and Nate will not forgive you. You know, if Nate gets you in a spot, he doesn't care. He wants to go in there and piece you up. Trust me. But all of a sudden if the fight hits the ground, he goes after you quickly. So I, I may go Nate, man. You know, I may gun go to Nate. the head. Yeah. Nate and Gaethje would be a very head. fun fight. That would be a really good, really exciting fight to make and it's not one that i've heard talked about before nate You're diaz right. versus justin gaethje would be stylistically a brilliant brilliant fight justin gaethje, gaethje would be my pick leg. justin gaethje would be my pick because you mentioned the leg kicks right and but i do think that would be an absolute firefight for as long as it lasted it would be brilliant yeah your point about would would you back nate diaz against the top five no does that mean he's he's no good? No, it doesn't mean that he's no good. It means that he's he's good, but 
his body of his recent body of work isn't consistent enough for you to legitimately say, yeah, I'm picking him against these guys who have got who have had a strong, um, a good strength of schedule over the last three years. Because Nate mm-hmm. hasn't had that. So if Nate had had that, uh, you know, we might be having different conversations about some of these matchups. But he fights so infrequently, it kind of hurts his stock, you know. But that's why. That's my point. That's yeah. why. I fight, that's why I think he fights so infrequently. Because if he did fight frequently, there would be a lot of these L's that we'd have to talk about, that he'd have to come up with some kind of excuse as to why he keeps losing. Like, I mean, after we get after the, after we get after those guys, you're left with Benil Dariush, you're left with Islam Makachev. There are murderers in this division. I'm sorry. Maybe like Nate from four years ago or something, if we knew he was training well, he is a good fighter, but he's not great. Let Just me let me flip a question. Let me flip a question at you then. All right. Exact exactly the same question. Take out Nate Diaz, put in Conor McGregor. Same thing. There you go. But, but at least I think Conor has one punch knockout power. Yes. yes. Where he can he can kind of like that first minute, you're you're no matter who it is, you're still kind of sitting there going, Oh God, what's gonna happen? I don't feel like you have that with Nate. Like he's not gonna one punch knock you out. He's gonna he's gonna do it with volume. It's death by a thousand cuts, isn't it, with Nate? Connor versus who? Who's the scenario here? Top five lightweights. Top Connor five lightweights. versus all the top five lightweights. Yeah, the same yeah. thing we did with Nate. Just flip it. Now it's Connor. So I think I think you're talking a very similar set of results. To be honest, let's not forget Connor has fought once at 155 pounds in the UFC. Uh, sorry, no, he's fought twice, isn't he? Twice. At 155 pounds, because uh, he beat. He beat um, oh, yeah, he Eddie Alvarez. Right? I don't remember. He lost. He lost to Khabib. He lost to Khabib. Is okay. that? He's only won once at 155 in the UFC. Um, but yeah, no, I think I think you know Nate has a marquee name. Connor has a marquee name. Neither one of them, unless you're going to go mad and put Connor in a title fight, Connor's probably got more options than Nate has right now. I think Connor has the um, he has the Nate option, which I think is obviously sells itself. It's a trilogy fight. It's a fight that has been sitting there waiting to be made for the best part of four years. Jorge Masvidal has entered the chat. Um, that is a fight that I would love to see. That's a fight that I suggested a couple of years ago and people went, Connor will never fight Jorge because Jorge is just too big for him. Well, take a look at Connor right now. He's He's walking around like a like a middleweight right now, you know. Jorge was a lightweight at one point. It's not like he came right. from middleweight to become no, a exactly. he came from lightweight to become a welterweight. Yeah, that would be if ever there was a fight that would get the BMF belt back into circulation. That's the one, right? If Connor said he wants the BMF belt on the line, um, you know, I would imagine that they would do that, and that might be his best chance of getting a belt right now. To be honest with you, so you know, it's uh, it's it. There's so many there's so many different options and you know you're talking about the stars you know look look who the ufc have lost over the years right ronda rousey gone george st pierre gone john jones haven't seen much of him henry cejudo gone daniel cormier gone you know we we're some marquee names a lot of and conor mcgregor has been fighting infrequently you know so but yet the, the the ship has still kept on rolling. They're still doing great business. And Eddie Hearn 
explained this perfectly. Uh, I think it was an interview with uh, with Ariel Helwani, and he said, he said the difference between the UFC and boxing is that the in, in boxing the promoter works for the fighters, and in the, the other way around, in in the UFC the fighters work for the UFC, and the UFC are the brand, the UFC are the selling point. Whereas in boxing, it's the individual fighters that are the selling point. People don't say, did you watch the matchroom boxing event the other day? Well, most people won't say that. They'll say, did you watch the, you know, did you watch the Anthony Joshua fight? Or did you watch, you know, whatever it might be, the Katie Taylor fight or whatever. And that's, that's just where the business model is, is very different. So the UFC can build their own stars and they might not be as big, but as an overall entity, because their audience is doing this all the time and because they did such a good job with the, in the pandemic of being present when so many sports were out, out of commission, that softened the blow of losing so many of their big names. If I can get some of those big names back, if I can get Connor back, if I can get Nate back in there, if I get John Jones fighting again, if Henry Cejudo actually comes back and fights, these are all names that they can really pin pin some big events on and then things will get, you know, th things will go through the roof for them. But at the moment, things are just ticking along quite nicely. So I guess they're not in any great rush. But if, if all those big names come back by the end of the year, 2023 is going to be massive, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Agreed. You know? We've we've done over an hour. We should probably wrap up. We we started this talking about walking music and Duran Duran and Mirko Crocop. So let's very quickly give us if you if you were about to walk through the curtain, walk to the cage, and fight for your life, what music do you want playing as you make that walk? I'll let you go first, George. What are you picking? Your one song, one right, fight. I'm, I'm going to switch it up. Um, the other day I was listening to Sandstorm by Darude. Oh, wow. And it just gets the crowd going, right? Now, granted, that's Vandalay's silver song. So I would ask him, can I use that song? And if he approved it, I would walk out to that one. It just has so much energy. And it sucks that if no one else ever doesn't take it, it just has to live in the history books, you know? And I think it needs to be brought out every once in a while uh, because it's, a, it's just a great song in the arena. So I would uh, that would be mine. It's a banger. What do you reckon, guys? What, what would you I, walk out to? I think Jimi Hendrix all along the Watchtower. Oh wow! But you ever watch um, Peacemaker? Yes. Oh, I, I say watch it. I've seen bits of it. I might walk out to the theme of that show. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Oh, I thought you meant Leslie Smith. Are <laughs> <Yeah>. you <laughs> Simon? I I have I've got I've got three I would pick between I would either walk out to um, an Oasis song called "Fucking in the Bushes," which I have a version of that um, is actually the Brit Pack's theme song. Um, it's not an original Oasis version for copyright reasons, um, but I have a version of that. That's that's the Brit Pack theme song. So "Fucking in the Bushes" by Oasis is an absolutely brilliant brilliant track it's from the film uh snatch as well if you've seen snatch it's from that um also I, I could walk out to two tribes by frankie goes to hollywood which is an absolutely brilliant song but if i was picking one track i'd walk out to the theme music from the movie the long good friday 
which is an old English gangster movie starring an English actor called Bob Hoskins. And um, it's uh, it's sort of chilling 1970s synth. I'll have to send you a link to it, but it's that's what I would walk out to the the music the the theme music from the Long Good Friday. Anybody who's listening to this, check it out on YouTube. It's very very good. But yeah, that would that that would be my pick. Solid. I like them. Right, hour and eight minutes, which is a fair bit longer than I thought we would do. We should probably wrap this one up. Um, thank you to everyone who uh, stuck with us through a rather meandering version of uh, the Brit Pack United Nations. We covered a lot of bases on this on this show. We and sure did, about- and, and I hope they did stick with us. Um, I'd be offended if they didn't. <laughs> All of it was quality. It was it was it was top draw. We even talked about MMA once or twice. It was great. But <laughs> you got mentioned. But um, but if you want to hear more MMA, you can check out uh, the other Brit Pack show that I do, which uh, occasionally I call the Rundown. We normally do that on a Monday where we recap uh, what happened the previous weekend. This week, I talked about the Cage Warriors doubleheader that we had in Colchester. Some great fights on those on those two cards. UFC Fight Pass, if you haven't checked that out, give it a look. Also, Gorgeous Georgian Goes are dominating the airwaves with MMA Junkie Radio and uh, the Triple G Show on their Patreon. So be sure to follow everything that they do as well. Thanks, as always, to Gorgeous George and to Goes. And, uh, yeah, don't forget to check out everything they do. Thank you for checking out the Britpack United Nations. Enjoy the fights this weekend, and we'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.